There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Russia and North Korea formalized their relationship and it could mean trouble for the rest of the world. What does this mean for North Korea? Uh, We have capabilities now that could strike not only our neighbors in South Korea, Japan, but the United States. Joe Detrani, former director of the National Counterproliferation Center. So I think if we don't prevail in, in Ukraine, we being the corporate we, uh, I think it would be a disaster, a global disaster. Coming up on this episode from WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Our plan on this week's episode was to start unpacking our trip from Poland with interviews and observations and stories that uh, we learned and heard and um, things we did while there. But um, what took place in Vladivostok, Russia this week with uh, Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un has eclipsed that for the moment. And a part of the reason for it is because of what we learned today. And that is that what they did was established an allied partnership, which is way more than what they had before. What they had before was just a partnership. You know, just convenience. But now there is a commission of energies and they're committed to each other. And this is a significant development for the world. And we're going to talk about it right now with Ambassador Joe Detrani, former U.S. special envoy to the six-party talks with North Korea. Ambassador Detrani, this meeting between Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un, I think it's over by now. Can you give us a sense of uh, what you think was accomplished there? Well, I think a lot was accomplished. I think uh, certainly for Kim Jong-un, he's formalized uh, an allied relationship with the Russian Federation, something he's not had since the uh, Soviet Union in 19, I think approximately 1961, uh, had a peace and friendship treaty with, uh, with the DPRK, North Korea, uh, but with the implosion of the Soviet Union in 1991, uh, that uh, that's been something of the past. So uh, until now, uh, the relationship between North Korea and Russia has been a partnership. But I think right now with this summit, it's an allied relationship, similar to the relationship China has with uh, with North Korea. So this is very significant. The summit between uh, Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un. Well, that's a very interesting point that you make. Um, uh, A partnership as opposed to an allied relationship. Um, It's a significant step. So uh, how does this uh, impact the rest of the world, especially the West? Well, you know, with China, and it was just reconstituted between Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un, 
uh, going back to 1961, the People's Republic of China has a, a peace and friendship treaty with North Korea. It's a formal allied relationship that has to be reconstituted every 20 years. Xi Jinping just did this two years ago with North Korea. So that's an allied relationship, meaning both countries, each country will come to the aid of the other in times of, uh, of war or conflict. This is now, in my view, this is now the relationship North Korea has with Russia, that it's, a, it's an allied relationship. And that means in time of conflict, each is committed to come to the defense of the other country. Uh, that I think, with the, especially with the war going on in Ukraine, I think it's very significant. Now, speaking of the war in Ukraine, it's clear to most of us that Russia needed this meeting, uh, <clears throat> needed this, um, I guess, uh, formality that took place to get some very important weapons. Uh, and North Korea, I think, based on our earlier conversation, is looking for money and economic assistance and help with its nuclear weapons. So talk with us for a few minutes, if you will, about the war and the significance of this meeting in terms of what Russia gets out of it for the war. Well, if it's if it's now an allied relationship, which I believe this is that was the purpose for the summit to really bring them together. Uh, basically, it's it's cover for Kim Jong Un to say he can be criticized. The U.S. has been very clear in saying North Korea has committed not to provide weapons to Russia in its war in Ukraine. Uh, now we're talking about a different type of relationship between North Korea and and Russia. So in this case, I think what we'll see from North Korea will be the artillery shells, the rockets, and any, any other type of weaponry that uh, Russia is in need of that North Korea will provide. And if they don't have it, they will work and in creating industries to provide Russia with that type of weaponry. So very significant. And conversely, for North Korea, they get a lot. I mean... You know, it's, it was a Soviet Union in 1970s and the 1980s that provided the missile capabilities to North Korea. And with the implosion in 91, it stopped. And then North Korea looked to China. Uh, but North, North Korea now is going to be looking to Russia to provide them with uh, greater missile capabilities, if you will, birthing the intercontinental ballistic missile, the Hwasung-18 that they have. We're talking about multiple independently targeted uh, re-entry vehicles. That means a number of warheads on a Hwasung 18, which we know can reach the whole of the United States, with multiple warheads that are targetable at different targets. So very significant uh, the, what North Korea would be getting, but indeed certainly also economic aid, food assistance, energy assistance, and North Korea needs energy assistance. Mind you, JJ, this is all in violation of UN Security Council resolutions. So here's, here's Russia, a member of the UN Security Council, not only vetoing uh, additional sanctions on North Korea because they continue to violate all previous resolutions, but now Russia is flagrantly just violating all, if you will, UN Security Council resolutions and will provide North Korea with with anything and everything. I think this is very, very significant. This also sounds, Ambassador, like this is um, a widening of this conflict 
uh, in Ukraine. Um, because you mentioned earlier, we spoke um, that you, North Korea might actually be providing personnel uh, for Russia's um, military military industrial complex. And we know that Russia has been looking for people anywhere they can find them to help them in this war. This to you, does this look like a widening of this war in Ukraine? Absolutely. I think this is a significant widening of the war in Ukraine. I think uh, uh, it's uh, an effort to enhance uh, Russia's capabilities to persist uh, with this uh, invasion of Ukraine. Uh, I think, uh, you know, there's reporting out there that there are laborers in Russia, North Korean laborers in Russia, again, in violation of UN Security Council resolutions, providing, uh, if you will, assistance to Russia. Now, would they now, would North Korea now be providing personnel, if you will, laborers and others, maybe even more sophisticated, uh, to provide assistance to Russia? Uh, I I wouldn't take this off the table. I think I think we should consider everything is now operational for North Korea. Operational in the sense that there's a go there's a go sign out there. We can do things with Russia now that we were reluctant to do in the past, uh, and certainly for Russia, I think it's the same for North Korea. Uh, JJ, you know the war in Ukraine better than uh, I or anyone. You've been there, you you look at this, you report on it every day. Uh, North Korea uh, is going to be providing Russia with significant assistance. The question has to be, and I know many of the critics say, what could North Korea provide to Russia? Well, you know, I heard this before many years ago when people were saying North Korea missile capabilities. North Korea doesn't have many or any capability really put an ICBM into uh, into space or uh, short range or intermediate range. And look what North Korea has done with their missile programs, literally on their own, but on the back of what Russia provided them, the Soviet Union, if you will, in the 70s and 80s. But then they pro- progressed on their own. So North Korea is capable of, of doing quite a bit to provide uh, military support to Russia. So North Korea having what they're getting from Russia, having the capabilities that Russia's technology will essentially help them to achieve, uh, what will they do with that? What does it mean to North Korea? Why why do they want it in the first place? Well, it's uh, certainly a message to South Korea, to Japan, and indeed to the United States, that if you uh, if you mess with us, if you're thinking about regime change, or if we if we should see anything that's uh, that's uh, uh, perceived to be an imminent threat to our leadership or command and control, uh, we have capabilities now that could strike not only our neighbors in South Korea, Japan, but the United States. And if we have even more sophisticated intercontinental ballistic missiles, and we just saw with in in July, they launched the uh, if you will a solid fuel. Uh, Hwasung-18 intercontinental ballistic missile with the capability of touching the whole of the United States. So if you're talking about merving these ICBMs that they have an arsenal of, uh, I think it's a very a very significant message to uh, their neighbors, their South Korea and Japan, but certainly to the United States that uh, uh, North Korea is, has significant capabilities. And mind you, 
This is also a message to South Korea, indeed to South Korea, telling the South Koreans that if you're relying on extended deterrence from the United States, where the United States is saying, we'll provide that nuclear umbrella, uh, you better think twice about that because, you know, would the United States be willing to be losing a few cities to, to respond to the needs of South Korea? So it's also a very stark message, I think, to the Republic of Korea, South Korea. <laughs> Ambassador, how much does Kim Jong-un like living? And I asked that question not as a joke, but asking it knowing that he has to understand that if under any circumstances, if he used a nuclear weapon, that essentially it's over for him. Do right. you, you, you get the sense that that still resonates with him? Absolutely, JJ. He's not suicidal. I totally agree with you. So I don't see him uh, using it, using his nuclear forces, uh, conventional forces. He's been threatening uh, tactical nuclear weapons uh, against South Korea. Uh, there's always that possibility there on, on, on South Korea. But against the United States, no, I don't see that, JJ. Uh, again, unless, now, given their new doctrine, it's a new doctrine. It's been articulated by Kim Jong-un just this, just this past year, 2022, where he said very clearly, if, it's, if, if there's an imminent threat or perceived to be an imminent threat, we would use our, our nuclear forces. But having said that, he's not suicidal. And hopefully uh, he doesn't, uh, you know, the intelligence capabilities of North Korea are, are very weak. And to say a country like that is going to be relying on what they perceive to be an imminent threat, it's a little, uh, it's a little concerning, or it should be very concerning. But again, doing something provocative against South Korea, uh, and possibly even Japan, but certainly South Korea, I think that's on the table. So Russia uh, and its, its nuclear weapons We've been hearing rumblings, and I know this isn't necessarily your wheelhouse, but as the former U.S. director of the National Counterproliferation Center, um, you would have kept an eye on this kind of thing. But now what we're hearing is that Russia's moved some of its tactical nuclear weapons to Belarus. And this brings another player into this, uh, I guess, arena that um, sparks concern. So um, how do you view that whole threat? Um, I don't know that there's any proof that they actually have these tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus, but the fact that Russia's talking about that and talking about sharing with North Korea seems to suggest that it's trying to put together a new axis uh, of operations. Um, what are your thoughts about that? No, I, I think uh, I think your analysis is is excellent. I agree with that. I, I what uh, what Putin will be doing is doing, if you will, but will be doing uh, in a greater way with uh, with uh, North Korea is indicative of that. I think uh, with Belarus, uh, the ability to to to, uh, if you will, uh, uh, provide the. Belarus with tactical nuclear weapons to have them. I, I, I believe that's on the table for, for Putin. I, you know, look, Putin is, he put, he put using nuclear weapons on the table right in the beginning when he first invaded, going back in February of 
2022, uh, Ukraine, he talked about the potential or the potential of using nuclear weapons in the war with Ukraine. So yeah, I think that's all. It's 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 not only possible, but I think in some ways it's likely. If the U.S. wants to deal with this, and you know, from your background in intelligence and uh, certainly um, counterproliferation considered, if the U.S. wants to deal with this, what's the best way to approach this complicated situation? Well, the best way is it's direct communications. One, direct communications, indeed, with the, with the Russian Federation. Uh, whatever, certainly, look, arms control issues, we, we, we still have uh, uh, our new start. We, although Russia is not in compliance, uh, but so we do have a dialogue with Russia and letting the Russians know this is significant proliferation. And if they're helping North Korea uh, with their nuclear and missile, but certainly their nuclear programs, that is a stark violation, not only of UN Security Council resolutions, but, but of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. And, and so that that's number one. But also sitting down with North Korea and telling North Korea, you don't want to be going that way. You don't want to be providing artillery, rockets, and other, if you will, military support, weaponry to Russia in its war in Ukraine, or Russia period, but certainly in its war in Ukraine. I think the North Koreans need to hear that and, and let them know there will be consequences on that. The response from North Korea will be, what consequences? Russia and China will not support any sanctions. So basically the United Nations is impotent in regards to sanctioning North Korea. So we would have to find other ways, our own independent sanctions, uh, looking at any country that deals with, uh, with North Korea. I mean, we have tools that are available to include touching China. And we should be talking to China front and center on this because China is the ally of North Korea. And this, is, this should not be in China's interest to see this sort of escalation with Russia I don't see how China could benefit from any of this. In fact, I think it's it's causing Xi Jinping a headache. Hmm. You know, it's not my position to um, uh, offer my opinion on this, and so I'm not going to do that. I'm simply going to say, um, in 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 the uh, run up to my next question, it it appears to me that based on what you said about the UN being impotent. Um, the world is kind of whistling through the graveyard on this, kind of hoping to, to kick the can down the road to get through this difficult situation and hope that things sort of sort themselves out down the road. But, you know, you and I have been talking about this very thing for at least a decade, 15 years, or if not more, about how this is the prevailing approach. And it's not working. And at some point, right. considering just looking at this from, I think, a logically logical point of view, at some point down the road, we're going to get to the next uh, step here. Because what Putin has done and Kim Jong-un seems to be doing is looking for the opportunities to get what they want, to do what they want. And when something new, a new opportunity comes out to do that, they take it. And so it looks to me that 
at some point, they're going to do something that we don't want or think that they would do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that that does make sense, JJ. And that's the uh, that's the element of real concern. Uh, and especially with uh, with North Korea on the Korean Peninsula, that they would do something of a provocative, coercive nature uh, to uh, to uh, project power, if you will, to uh, to affect governance in South Korea, and that would touch the United States. So yes, I do see that, and I, I think that's the case with uh, with Russia. You mentioned Be Be Belarus, yes, and and you know what North and Medvedev has mentioned the nuclear arsenal a number of times, more so than Putin, uh, talking about, you know, we have these nuclear weapons and and we can cause a lot of uh, a lot of damage. Uh, so yes, I, I I totally agree. So uh, but but also the alignment now, I mean, if you're talking about North Korea having an allied relationship with uh, with Russia, that's changed the equation quite a bit. And we're looking at you know the BRICS is expanding significantly. The Shanghai Cooperation Organization is expanding uh, significantly, also at least uh, uh, to some extent. Uh, so we're looking, at, and then of course that relationship between China and and Russia and North Korea and Iran uh, and their joint exercises. So you have. If you and you use the term, uh, I don't know if you said axis of evil, but you said evil. <laughs> but if you you're going back to the Bushes, George W. Bush administration, the axis of evil, you're getting a, these countries coming together where they can, uh, you know, with Iran and their proxies in, in Lebanon and Syria and the region in Iraq. Uh, you, you're talking about the potential of, of nuclear weapons even in Iran. North Korea persisting the way they are, the, 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 the tension we have with China, which is so palpable, uh, and the South China Sea, the East China Sea, on the Taiwan Strait, on the issue of Taiwan, but also what's going on in the country with, with in Xinjiang with the Uyghurs and Hong Kong with a national security law, and in Russia so blatant, in Russia so blatantly, in their war with Ukraine. Uh, so, and these countries are coming together and looking to bring others into the fold. So how do you address it? I mean, obviously we have allies and we've, we've got some very good allied relationships. I think the recent uh, Camp David summit between uh, the United States and South Korea and Japan was excellent. Excellent, it brings us all, uh, AUKUS is excellent. It brings us all together in, in many ways. But I think to your point though, JJ, uh, your point is if if we if if this is becoming so polarized, and you have adversaries on both sides, how do you sort of defuse it? How do you sort of walk some of it back? And I think that's where a lot of diplomacy has to come in uh, in a, a significant way. The United Nations, uh, you know, I used the word impotent before, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I, I, I'm reluctant to say it, but the United Nations hasn't been able to do anything in regards to these developments. So yes, I think uh, I needs to, there needs to be a strategic, um, if you will, pivot to say, now how do we sort of bring these pieces together? How do we ensure that there's no conflict, purposeful conflict, intentional conflict, but indeed even accidental uh, yeah. conflict? And that's always a, a possibility, right?
Yeah. That's a big concern to me, too, uh, Ambassador, because, you know, one of the things that I think happened in the war with Ukraine from Russia's point of view is that they have this machinery, uh, and meaning the Russian war machine that is so good at projecting itself and talking about its its game and essentially had the world scared for decades to do anything um, for fear of con- fear of angering Russia. But then when they hit the ground in Ukraine, it was clear that they it was it was a paper tiger. And the thing that worries me um, just, you know, as an American and and as a as a as a global citizen is if the global um, organizations responsible for defending and protecting against these kinds of actions and operators uh, has this same kind of machinery that's really good at all of the processes, but when it comes down to it, is the work being done and does it work when it's necessary uh, to, dis- to, to, to engage? And that's the thing that worries me, that someday there, there's going to be an action that nobody expects or nobody wants, and will we be able to step up and do that? And I think what you've done is address this uh, today significantly, so thank you. But one more question before we go. I'd like to ask if there's anything you want to add that I haven't asked about that you think is important. No, no, JJ, I think you you you, you asked excellent questions and your analysis on the questions you asked is, is right on target. On the war in Ukraine, JJ, and again, you know this signal better than I, uh, what Russia's doing there with, the, uh, with, with that war. And I think this is where the European Union, if you will, NATO has come together. So I think there is that element of positivity, if you will, but again, when you look at the recent G20 meetings that just took place in the last few days, and you and you look at the uh, you know the the uh, joint statement that came out of it, uh, not much of a not not a strong position on that war in Ukraine. And this is Russia invading a sovereign country that in 1994 they gave security assurances to, and that country gave them all their nuclear warheads <laughs> for those security assurances how blatant that is. So I think if we don't prevail in, in Ukraine, we being the corporate we, uh, I think it would be a disaster, a global disaster, for, uh, not only for Ukraine, obviously, uh, for the, those poor people who are suffering there, but also for the global community. Ambassador Joe Detrani, former U.S. Special Envoy to the Six-Party Nuclear Talks with North Korea, and the former director of the National Counterproliferation Center in the U.S. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, a few days in Poland, we start unpacking a trip that took us from Warsaw to Krakow to Auschwitz, Birkenau to Szczecin, and many other places in Poland, including what is now effectively the war zone. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, 
you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.